welcome to the Living Worship Podcast. I'm really excited that you're here again with me this week. We're continuing the story about Balaam, the enemy sorcerer, and the influence that he had on the Israelite nation. Um, this is a man who um, hated God um, through his occult practices. He was doing satanic things. He was encouraging that kind of behavior. And his entire mo motivation was greed. He just wanted money. He wanted fame, respect, but mostly money. And he had no interest in what God had to offer him. And so Moab sees Israel coming and says, we've got to do something about them. And so instead of going to God or trying to create a peace treaty with Israel, um, they instead go to this sorcerer and say, I need you to curse these people so that we can overtake them and kill them. All right, and so this was a people that God had actually told Israel not to attack, to actually leave alone, because at one point in time, like the way this nation started was through Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. And, and so God had not set them aside for destruction, but by their actions, well, now they are. Now they are. And so um, Balaam, he goes to start cursing God's people, and God puts different words in his mouth. God compels him to say God's words. And so four times Balaam gives prophecy about the nation of Israel. And we've talked about the first two times at length. We're going to kind of breeze through the next two uh, real quick. And we're going to get into the crux of um, why is Balaam even important in the Bible? Besides the fact that there was a talking donkey a few weeks ago, right? And so Let's see what else that he had to say. So I'm just going to breeze through it, but if you want to read the whole thing, it's in Numbers 23, um, 27, and then Numbers through Numbers 24, verse 25. So it's that whole section there in Numbers 23 and 24 that we're going to be kind of breezing through. So he gives a third prophecy, a third oracle, and he talks about the greatness of Israel and how they will be the world power for a time. And how eventually they will be the world power. So he's talking about two people, really. And, and so in the Bible, we call this typology. All right, and so he's talking about King David, but ultimately he's referring to King Jesus. Right, and so there's, there's both things. He's talking about both things here, and that's what's going on. And then the fourth oracle, he expands on it. And he talks specifically about the Messiah, about Jesus. Right, and he talks about the future coming King Jesus, which actually the fourth oracle has not even happened yet. Um, how do we know that? Well, because Jesus came to the earth the first time in humility, and he says he's coming the second time in great power, and well, he will obviously be the Son of God. Like, people will not have any reason to doubt at the second coming of Christ. And so, it's really remarkable that God gave these really, honestly, really special, really unique revelations to someone who did not honor him, to someone who, uh, frankly, is not in heaven. Um, and we can see that through his actions, and that's really what we're going to be talking about today. But even Balaam, a servant of Satan, could not hold his tongue when God got involved. You see, God is totally powerful, all-knowing, right? And so whenever he gets involved, People have to obey him. People have to speak his words. And so this was one of those instances where God was exercising his power a little bit more than we normally see because God didn't give us free will. 
But at this point, Balaam, because of who God is, whether he honored God or not, could not help but speak the truth that God had given to him. And still, he hated God. Even when he got to see the God of the universe and have an understanding of who he is, what he's about, what he wants, what he likes, what he hates, he still chose the other side. He still chose himself. He still chose Satan. And when Satan's sorcery, when his occult practices could not provide the answers that he needed to defeat God and defeat God's people, he found another way to corrupt Israel. And so to get the full scope of this, uh, we're looking primarily in Numbers chapter 25, um, but you're going to see more comments about it in Numbers chapter 31, and also 2 Peter chapter 2, and Jude. Jude is, you know, just read the whole book because it's one chapter. It's really short, it's a great book, get into it. It's a lot about false doctrine. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Balaam's corrupting advice. So we're looking at Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 5. And so here's what it says. While Israel was staying in the Acacia Grove, the people began to prostitute themselves with the women of Moab. The women invited them to the sacrifices for their gods, and the people ate and bowed and worshipped to their gods. So Israel aligned itself with Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that his burning anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses told Israel's judges, kill each of the men who aligned themselves with Baal of Peor. All right, this is kind of crazy. So Balaam, he gets up, and this is Numbers chapter 24, verse 25. It says, he arose and went back home. Well, correctly translated, correctly looking at it, he didn't just immediately get up and go home, home. He went back to the place where he was staying while he was in Moab serving Balak, the king. And so he gets up, he goes back there, and he's kind of defeated. He wasn't able to curse Israel, but he did come up with a plan to corrupt them. And so he is the one who actually suggested in the first place, and we learn that in Numbers chapter 31, that Moab and Midian, they hold this massive feast in honor to Baal and invite Israel. That was all Balaam's idea. He told Balak, Look, we can't curse them, but we can defile them. We can turn their hearts instead of cursing them. Turn their hearts against God, and then God will have to destroy them and save us all that hard work. And so this feast, it would involve idolatry, you know, worshiping Baal. Obviously, it was all about him. Um, all the food that would have been eaten would have been sacrificed to Baal. Um, and anything else that would have been done in service to Baal, um, as a part of worshiping Baal. Um, prostitution and all kinds of sexual immorality um, are rampant. It's uh, how you worship Baal. And so th these leaders of Israel who go and, and get involved in this, they wholeheartedly sell out. It's like they've completely forgotten what happened the last time they worshiped an idol. And they're obviously dishonoring God in every way. So what's so important about Baal? What kind of God was Baal besides how you worship him? Well, Baal was the Canaanite God of rain and fertility. And this is the first time that we see Israel worshiping Baal, but it's not the last. Um, in fact, 
this starts a cycle of Israel going back to Baal over and over and over again whenever they decide that God isn't providing, isn't going to come through, not worthy of trust. Um, and honestly, as you read it, it, I don't know about you, but it makes me really sad to see this happen over and over and over again. Every time things went south, they left God to worship Baal. And so we would think that they would remember what happened at Sinai, at Sinai, but they didn't. And so what happened then? What did God do? Well, God sent a plague to destroy those responsible, and Moses took care of the leader's sin. So God took care of the thousands who had followed the leaders, and Moses took care of the leaders who had decided that this was a responsible, good thing for them to do, to be a part of. And so there's a lot of, lot of death involved here, and it's referred to in the Bible a few times. Because this is another one of the most shameful, terrible experiences in Israel's history. And so, um, fortunately for them, besides Moses figuring out who led the charge on this and God um, killing the people who followed the leaders in this way and worshipped Baal in this terrible way, a, a hero emerges that we haven't read about before. Uh, that God decides to bless because of his actions. So we're looking at Numbers chapter 25, verses 6 through 15. We're read about Phineas. An Israelite man came bringing a Midianite woman to his relatives in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he got up from the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite man into the tent. Followed the Israelite man to the tent and drove it through both the Israelite man and the woman, through her belly. Then the plague on the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The Lord spoke to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites because he was zealous among them with my zeal so that I did not destroy the Israelites in my zeal. Therefore, I declare, I will grant him my covenant of peace. It will be a covenant of perpetual priesthood for him and his future descendants, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the Israelites. The name of the slain man who was struck dead with the Midianite woman was Zimri, son of Selu, the leader of a Simeonite family. The name of the slain Midianite woman was Cosby, the daughter of Zer, a tribal head of a family in Midian. All right, so we have this Canaanite princess and this prince of Israel. He's from the tribe of Simeon, who decides that he is above God's laws and God's demands of obedience and holiness. And so he goes, he goes to this party, has a great time, uh, finds this princess and takes her home. And thinks, and he, and he doesn't just take her home, like he walks in front of Moses and in front of God's tabernacle. And he he's kind of flaunting it here. And so Phineas sees this, sees the death that is coming upon everyone who is involved. And then he sees this prince of a tribe being so flamboyant and flagrant and proud of his sin in this way, thinking he is above the law. And so Phineas, in his love and zeal for God, 
carries out God's punishment himself. And God says, you did exactly what you needed to do. All right, and so God rewarded Phineas for acting in faith. See, Phineas didn't know he was going to get rewards for this. Um, in fact, I, he, he might have even thought on some level that he might get punished for it. But what God loves, he loved. And what God hates, he hated. And he knew that it was his responsibility as the son of a priest to protect the holiness of the people. And so he he kills. He kills Zimri and Cosby. And he impales them with one strike of a spear. And he was considered righteous for it. It's kind of hard for us to understand, I think, as we look at this and say, oh, wow, that's really brutal. But during this time, like the amount of immorality that was going on with between the Canaanite people, you know, which is Moabites and Midianites are among them. It was something that God could not stand and that God could not have be around his people because they would be tempted by the evil. Clearly. They're invited to one party, and more than 24,000 people turn their back on God. That's insane. After all the miracles, after all the answered prayers, after all that they have seen and done in God's name, they turn their back so easy. So we need to learn ourselves to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And sometimes it's going to mean doing things that don't make sense. It's going to mean doing things that are culturally not acceptable. Now, I'm not saying you need to go out and murder somebody. God does not want us to do that. But in this case, it was appropriate for Phineas to do what he did. He was protecting the holiness of God's set-apart people. And so the principle of it is we need to follow his example, if not the deed, right? We need to love God more than we love anything else in this world. To the point of if we do what God wants, that we might get punished, persecuted, and even die for what we believe in. Right? And so, dig into this. Understand that violence is not the answer here. But having our focus completely on God is the answer. All right, so let's keep reading. We're going to finish this chapter out. So we're looking at Numbers 25, verses 16 through 18. It says, And the Lord told Moses, Attack the Midianites and strike them dead, for they attacked you with the treachery that they used against you in the Peor incident. They did the same in the case involving their sister Cosby, who was killed the day the plague came. All right, so Midian is now considered an enemy of Israel to be annihilated with the other Canaan nations. So we know why God had asked them to not attack um, Moab, but why not Midian also? Well, think about it. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was a Midianite. He was from Midian. Now, um, it also says, the Bible says that he's a Kenite. Um, so, I mean, on some level, right, some Midianites were righteous. Some Midianites did follow God. Jethro certainly taught Moses um, some of what he knew about following Yahweh. He had a relationship with God. 
but at this point in time, the nation had changed, and the nation as a whole was not a Yahweh-worshipping nation. They had their own gods, Baal included. Okay, and so they're to be annihilated for their behavior because they decided that Israel was going to be destroyed and they were collaborating with Moab. And so Israel goes, we can read about it in Numbers chapter 31, and they kill Midian and Moab. Like, they annihilate them. And Balaam is killed in this same military action. Moses made sure that that happened. And so God destroyed them by, um, I'm going to say this, God destroyed them um, because he had really given them the time and the ability and the chances to change. And instead, over the centuries since God has been directly involved in their country, they have been choosing to live a morally filthy lifestyle as the entire country. And we can even look to previous incidents with God judging countries like Sodom and Gomorrah and say, you know, God is perfectly just and perfectly righteousness and he has to uphold that. And so he judges cultures based on where they are. And if there were not enough people following God in this culture, God says, you got to go. You can't be around tempting my people to do evil. He gave them the chances that they needed. And so God dealt with this Israel the same way many years later. Israel was not exempt from God's discipline or wrath. Israel eventually fell for all the lies that Balaam um, fed them through these actions. And God punished them too by causing other nations to attack them, to defeat them, to pull them back into slavery. And eventually, Israel was ruled by the Roman Empire. Like, Israel was, they are set apart. They're considered to be God's holy people, but they were not exempt from God's just punishment when it was necessary. And so these nations at this point, if they were to be left alone, they would be tempting Israel to just pursue moral filth instead of God. And God says, I can't have that. I can't have that. This is the country that I've given you to live in. And they can't be your neighbors if this is the way they're acting. And so they had to go. They had to go. And so what does this have to do with us then? This is not immediately apparent. I don't think all the time. Um, the story about Balaam, the first few times I heard it, like it was just a brief blurb in the Bible where we talk about a talking donkey and we move on. But there's so much more here that we need to be looking at because stories like this one exist to warn us about the cost of disobedience. It, they exist to build our faith, to encourage us, to give us hope. The Old Testament really is so important to know and to learn. Um, just think about it. The early church, it's what they had. They didn't have the New Testament for quite a while. Um, they were compiling and making sure that it was consistent and right. And some of the letters were still being written that we study today. But the Old Testament, I mean, that's where even Jesus in Matthew 4 is um, pulling scripture from as Satan is trying to tempt him. The Old Testament is so important. So important. So we have to be careful 
that because God has given us this so that we can know him and understand him, that we're actually putting in the effort to know and understand the Bible. Because there will be people like Balaam in your life who will take God's word and twist it and use it to try to manipulate you. Just look at 2 Peter chapter 2. False teachers and false doctrine is everywhere, especially now in the time of our information age. You can find whatever you want. You can make the Bible teach whatever you want, and people do it, and they make lots and lots of money doing it, just like Balaam. He did whatever it took to get the fame, the fortune, but he didn't care about God. He just used God to get there. And of course, he didn't. God didn't allow him to. Balaam did not get away with it. God revealed himself to Balaam, and Balaam went the other way. That's really crazy. I mean, Balaam was a man who God actually revealed himself to, and Balaam still chose himself. He chose greed, power, bitterness, and spite. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. Have you ever heard the phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? Well, from God's point of view, starting in this Numbers chapter 25, that was Israel's attitude. They were moving into this new country. They, they were supposed to take and use that country to obey God, but instead they decided Let's try out this new culture. Maybe we should try their gods. Uh, Egypt's gods weren't so bad. Let's try their gods. And that's compromise. That's conforming to the culture. That, And the cost for Israel was great. Because not only did more than 24,000 people die here, but Israel as a nation paid for it over and over and over again for the next however many centuries. The cost was great. In the New Testament, there are false teachers that both Second Peter and Jude refer to, teaching that God's grace made it okay for us to sin and to do whatever we want. And it still exists today. People still behave that way. But the Bible clearly condemns it. And so God talks about this kind of behavior where we abuse his grace. He calls it adultery. He frequently told Israel to stop playing the harlot, to stop being a prostitute. And the Christian church, right, in the New Testament, we are constantly referred to as the bride of Christ. And so when we compromise our values, we choose ourselves over God, we choose sin over God, then we are cheating relationally on God. So it's not just as from a servant to a king, it's also as a wife to a husband, or a husband to a wife. That's I mean, God wants that kind of close, intimate relationship, and when we go the other way, God says, quit cheating on me. That's, that's so deep for us to hold on to. And so any teaching that you hear that makes it easy to sin is false doctrine. God tells us to stay far away from the boundaries of sin. 
don't flirt with the line. Stay far away. Because God's word enabled us, enables us for holiness. And if we're going to be set apart, we're not going to be set apart for the boundary line. We're going to be set completely apart in a way from what the world says is good and okay. If it feels good, you do it, is what they say. The Bible says that's not the case. God's way is hard but worth it. And so Balaam did die in the battle against Moab and Midian. Moses made sure of it. But once his lies were loose, they influenced the Jews for centuries. So compromising for your faith, like the Jews did, causes us to lose our integrity and our spiritual strength. And so instead, we need to be reaching higher and focusing on God who wants to help you grow and change and put away your old self and renew your mind like it talks about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. You need to know what the truth is so that you won't fall for lies. The best lies, remember this, the best lies always have a kernel of truth inside them. So we must be diligent to know God's word, which is the truth, so that we can spot the difference. Thank you again for being with me today. Um, I hope you enjoyed the video, that you um, were able to learn something from this text. Um, I know I did. I've loved studying this. I'm excited to what we move to next as we make our way through the Old Testament. Um, I'm just taking it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, story by story, and just pulling out the principles that God has intended us to learn from his words so that we can know the truth and not fall from lies. If you need to get a hold of me, please send me an email at Cameron at JonesvilleBaptist.com, and I'll catch you next week. Bye. Mm -hmm.